Amen. All right. Good morning, Crossing Church. Uh, you guys can go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4 as we close out our Advent series uh, today on Christmas Eve. <coughs> Happy Christmas Eve. Wow. Also, Buck Wild. Okay, I got it out of the way. I'm going to say And so normally on every Christmas Eve, uh, I wake up uh, in South Arkansas at my grandma's house, my mom's mom, um, and wake up there with a lot of family uh, and those who are capable uh, cook breakfast uh, for the surrounding community. Um, and those who are not like me, uh, we kind of sit around and talk a lot. Uh, I get told to get a haircut, shave my beard a lot. Um, I ate a lot of biscuits uh, uh, with muscadine jelly. Uh, I drink a lot of tang. I listen to my uncle uh, tell really cool stories about when he was a detective. Um, and so this is the first time in 25 years that I'm not there. But there's no place, I'm serious, no place I'd rather be uh, than when you guys this morning just celebrating this hope we have uh, in Christ. No matter if I was preaching or, or, or out there, um, this is where I want to be. And so I'm so excited. Um, not only to get to preach um, in Ruth 4, but also worship with you and celebrate uh, this hope we have in Christ. Um, and so if you weren't here last week uh, or the weeks before, uh, last week Stogner walked us through chapter 3. Um, Ruth going to Boaz uh, on the threshing floor. So Boaz falls asleep after a really hard day's work um, on the threshing floor. He wakes up to find his feet uncovered, which Ruth did. Uh, Ruth uncovered his feet, uh, and then Ruth basically ask Boaz to redeem her, to marry her, proposing to him. Um, and, and when Ruth asked Boaz to do this, Boaz immediately agrees. Yes, of course I'll do this, but there is another redeemer uh, closer than I in this family. Um, and so he tells Ruth uh, that he will take care of business pretty much the next day. And that's where we pick up uh, in Ruth 4, uh, the very next morning. So let's read, uh, starting in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here. And in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much um, for this building, this time uh, that we can come together uh, out of any cold weather, um, get away from uh, just these this mess of everything that is the holidays sometimes uh, and sit for a little bit, um, just a, a segment of the day um, to hear your word and worship you out of this, this gladness, this joy that we get from hearing the gospel. Uh, so God, I pray that you are here this morning uh, using me uh, to simply preach your word. Um, I pray that nothing uh, of, of me comes out in this uh, that I not boast in myself, that we not boast in ourselves in any of this. Uh, we see that we are nothing without you. God, thank you for the story of Ruth uh, and the picture of the gospel it paints for us. We love you. Amen. All right. So um, 
So if the story of Ruth stopped right there, it would be nuts. That'd be crazy. Um, but so you know if Ruth was a TV show, uh, not like Stranger Things on Netflix where you can just binge all of it in like one night, but one like back in the old days when you had to wait weekly, uh, something like Lost, you know, where that ball guy in a wheelchair is suddenly not, sorry, spoiler. Um, and you have to wait. Something happens and you have to wait the whole week. And so if Ruth was a TV show, it would definitely stop there. Um, this guy, uh, this this other redeemer, this nearer redeemer than Boaz, um, says yes, he'll do it. And so thinking this whole time, seeing Boaz in the field, how he treats Ruth, setting up this whole situation, um, the risky stuff in the threshing board actually worked out. Uh, and then all of a sudden this dude that doesn't even have a name says, yes, of course, I'll take it. Um, and so this is a big theme in Ruth. Um, these, these setbacks that occur uh, to Naomi, uh, to Ruth, uh, to Boaz right now. Um, these setbacks, these roadblocks to get in the way of this plan that Naomi and Ruth maybe have going forward to redeem their family name. Uh, and for us, too, um, thinking about if we actually didn't know the end of the story. If you've read or you know it, you should. Um, everything works out. But at this moment... This is, a, this, is, this is a setback. This is a roadblock. This is bad. This is not the way we planned for it to go. This is not how things should happen. Um, and so in this book of Ruth, the, this is not the first, obviously. So we first we have a famine that causes Elimelech uh, and his family to flee to Moab um, apart from God's will for them to stay in Bethlehem. Uh, then we have the death, of course, of Elimelech and their two sons uh, leaving Naomi uh, with two daughter-in-law widows. Um, and then Naomi coming back with Ruth, coming back empty, saying that she left full, comes back empty. Uh, Ruth has to go um, work as a servant, get, gathering leftovers in a field. Um, also another setback that could possibly happen. Uh, we don't know if Ruth can have children at all. Her and Malon were married 10 years uh, and, and no children. We expect them to have children, but there's no children. Uh, and so these setbacks that happen, um, all of us can absolutely connect with this. Um, and so these, these big or small setbacks in our lives um, happen all the time. So you could be in a season of it right now uh, where you don't know what's going on, you don't know how to deal with things, uh, or you can look back on times, whether you're younger, um, with things were just crushing to your plan to go forward. Uh, and so two years ago, this December, uh, I was in my last semester at ULM, and I was on my way to Jack Hayes uh, to do Kids Hope stuff, to hang out with uh, my first grader friend, and also on my way to see my fiance, who was teaching there, fiance at the time. And I check my email when I get there, and I find out that I did not have enough credits, whatever, I've been out of school for a while, um, to pass visual media, visual literacy. I don't even know what it was. Um, I did not have enough credits to pass, and it was, it was a core class. I should have done better in it. Um, my professor emailed me and says, you don't have enough. And I was supposed to graduate uh, that next week. Uh, that weekend, I was uh, preaching the first Advent sermon. Uh, I was working at Raising Cane's at, until like 3 a.m. in the morning, all this stuff. Uh, and so I was supposed to graduate. We were supposed to get married in March. I was supposed to get a job. All this stuff that happened in like this one email totally messed it up. Like, I text my parents. I can't even call my parents. I text my parents uh, telling what happened. I texted the elders just trying to get some kind of encouragement. 
I go and hang out with my first grade friend. I go and talk to Chandler and just tell her what happened through like grown man tears. Like, I'm not going to graduate. This, is, this ruins everything. And so, unfortunately, this is probably not the worst thing uh, that is ever going to happen to me. Um, but I was absolutely devastated uh, that I had put my hope and getting a diploma and, and this plan of how things were supposed to lay out. Uh, and I put my hope in that, and it was gone uh, at the moment. Uh, this was a huge uh, setback at the time. And so, like I said, you've, you've been in these moments, you've had these moments, you may be in something right now. Uh, and so thinking on this, uh, be encouraged by how this story plays out, and we'll touch more on that later. And so we'll pick up in verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption to yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Wow, what a relief. Okay, I did not see that coming. What a good job. Man. Uh, so Boaz is so clever uh, in how he delivers this. So first he, in verses 3 through 4, what we read earlier, he brings up this, uh, this duty of the Redeemer for Naomi's land, their, their family land. Uh, and so Leviticus 25, uh, verse 25, quickly, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest Redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Uh, and so we know that this is this Redeemer's duty um, to buy back this land for Naomi uh, and their family. Uh, and then after the man accepts this, this sudden shock, like what he accepted, uh, Boaz appeals to the man dealing, uh, dealing with his duty with a preservation of their family name. And so he moves from the land that they, that they sold to their family name carrying on. Uh, and we understand this better by reading Deuteronomy 25, uh, starting with verse 5. Uh, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the son and the first son whom she, she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And so first let's, let's talk about this lamb. We're very removed um, from this culture, this tradition, obviously. Uh, so it's, it's difficult to understand what's going on here. And so uh, Naomi and Elimelech own this land uh, and probably sold the land when they left Moab. This famine happens. They probably sold this lamb, land uh, when they left for Moab to have money uh, when they lived in Moab. Uh, and, but now that Naomi is back, she needs the land back uh, to live on, to work off on. Um, and because it's technically their family's land, um, the men of the family, uh, which is Limelech, Malon, and Kilion, father and sons, have ownership rights to buy this land back after selling it um, because it's technically their land. But obviously they're not alive to do this. Naomi needs a kinsman redeemer to buy back this land. And in doing this, the Redeemer agrees to care for Naomi and also the lamb. And so the Redeemer, uh, this no-name Redeemer, is very quick to buy back this land. This is a great opportunity for him. Uh, he gets a great piece of lamb uh, that he can uh, live off of. He can uh, be very fruitful uh, with that lamb. And all he has to do is take Naomi in, uh, and which could cost something. Uh, but it's not that big of a setback for him. 
uh, just take Naomi and care for her, care for this land. And this is a great deal because this land can be passed down generation after generation in his family line because Naomi is past childbearing age. Um, what we read in Deuteronomy 25 doesn't apply to him. Preserving Elimelech's name doesn't apply to him as a redeemer. So, of course, he's going to fulfill this duty to buy back this land. This is a great opportunity for him. Um, this is a very easy game for him. Um, so we, then we quickly, uh, in the next verse, see why he changes his mind. The second Boaz mentions Ruth, uh, Malon's widow, who has never had a son to carry on the family name. This guy suddenly remembers. Oh, he's got other plans. Sorry, I forgot. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. Let me go back. I can't do this. Um, he would mess up his own inheritance, his plan, his story. Um, by marrying Ruth and having a son with her, uh, their son would take on the name of Malon. And that land and everything that comes with it would be passed down through that line and not this no-name Redeemer's line. Uh, and so he's out. Uh, and so whether or not the Redeemer uh, was being selfish in this situation, unlike Boaz that we see later, uh, or if he's just justified and he, he actually has a reason to not do this, um, whether that's the case or not, uh, I, I connect uh, with this guy. Uh, so whether I'm in a season of setbacks like we talked about earlier, uh, or if life is going really great in my eyes, um, I'm still a very selfish human being. When I'm called to be sacrificial with my money, uh, my time, when something comes up uh, that I can be a part of, that I can uh, sacrifice in, that causes me to be a little uncomfortable, um, it, it, it really takes me a lot to actually do that. Uh, and, and why is this? Because I'm sinful. I have a tendency to think about my plan, how I want things to go, my story, and how it's supposed to play out according to my will. Um, and maybe you can agree with that too. Uh, so let's keep reading in verse 7. And so now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi. All that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so because the author of Ruth notes in verse 7 this transaction uh, was a former time, so we can assume that the people reading this, people hearing this at the time it's written, uh, have no idea what's going on. And this is really helpful because we don't either. Uh, we have no idea about all the sandal business. Uh, and so we bought a house recently and the whole process was terrible. Uh, and so if it was this easy, if the seller just gave me a shoe and said, it's your house, that would be wonderful. We still have to pay for it, but we wouldn't have to sign the like 500 papers. Um, and so uh, we see uh, back in Deuteronomy 25, um, where this comes from, this is after uh, a man refuses to marry his brother's wife. And that's in verse 9. His, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull a sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, 
the house of him who has had his sandal pulled off. Wow. So there's no spitting involved here uh, in, in our story in Ruth. Uh, but there is this removing of, of, of a sandal uh, to show everyone, this symbol, um, that this Redeemer is a relinquishing his rights uh, to redeem Naomi, to redeem Ruth. Um, and it's going to Boaz. And, and if, you, if you can think about being there in the crowd, we're not, we can't. Uh, but if we were in the crowd and we knew all what was going on, uh, all this, this emotion that was this happening of, of what we would want to happen, uh, this, this moment that this Redeemer says, yeah, I'll buy the land. We're just like a sinking feeling like, no, this is not, this is not what it's supposed to be. Like even those, these Hallmark movies, whatever. That happens always. Um, this moment is just, this is not supposed to happen. And then the guy's like, oh, wait, I can't do that. I messed up my own hand. It's like this, okay, maybe something good can happen here. This, this is really happening. And then the sandal comes off. And then you know, like, yes. It's like your team just buzzer beater shot. Boom, you know what's happening. It's done. No time on the clock. It's, it's finished. This, the sandal's pulled off. Uh, and so, and we don't know this, but uh, maybe Ruth and Naomi are also in the crowd. We have no idea of knowing this. This is totally um, not in here. Uh, but maybe they're in the crowd. Maybe they're experiencing this emotion that we would be feeling too. Um, this hope that they had in Boaz uh, and this random guy uh, says, yes, he'll do it. And then this all this emotion coming in that, yeah, it's done. And Boaz will redeem Ruth. He will take Ruth as his wife. Um, and also with, with Ruth, we see this, this transformation of her from chapter 1 uh, to now. That she's an outsider of, uh, from Moabite. Um, a widow with no sons. Uh, a servant uh, to Boaz in the fields. Though he treated her well, she's still a servant in the fields. Uh, and now she is to be his wife. This transformation in just four chapters uh, is, is beautiful. And so, and now these witnesses here, uh, verse 11, uh, lift these, pray, these prayers to God. Uh, and that's in verse 11. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like that house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring, the Lord will give you by this young woman. So desiring Ruth to be like Rachel and Leah, foreigners who were integrated into this line of God's people. Because God gave them fertility. They did nothing to do this. Um, be worthy in Ephrathah, an older name for Bethlehem, and may your family's name be famous here, which we know if we read on, it absolutely will be. <coughs> and Perez, though born out of a terrible situation, showed a picture of redemption for Tamar, and knowing that the Lord, capital Lord, Yahweh, uh, will give Ruth a child. And so Boaz, uh, in verse 13, uh, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And so this 
among all these, these setbacks in the story, this death, this famine, um, this not knowing what's going to happen with this Redeemer, God continues to be sovereign and faithful to provide for His people. And this is a, a beautiful picture we see in Ruth 4, that He is in control of this situation. Um, so like Ruth just so happens to end up in Boaz's field. Coincidence? No, definitely not. Um, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer for the clan of Elimelech. And turns out he's also a really great guy too. You know, you don't get a lot of those. Uh, and then great timing from Ruth and Naomi to come back at that time. Boaz isn't married yet. The redeemer is too late for him. Um, great timing by Ruth and Naomi, of course. Um, this risky move on the threshing floor of the Naomi plan actually worked out. God's sovereignty, because uncovering feet never worked in, never mind. Um, the near redeemer realizes he doesn't want any part of it. Uh, and what about having a son? Uh, Ruth and Malon weren't able to have kids in, in 10 years of their marriage. Uh, but capital Lord Yahweh gave her conception. Uh, so matter, no matter what these, uh, these setbacks that you may be thinking about right now, these, these hardships um, that you're going through, whether it be financial struggle, uh, stress at school, at work, um, broken relationships, uh, sickness and death in your family, with your friends, know that God is in control of all this. And he shows that with Ruth and Naomi. He is in control. He is faithful to take care of them. So if you belong to him, the Holy Spirit lives in you and is working in you and through you right now in the midst of all these situations. And if all of that is true, God has laid out your plan. He has written your story. And, and we, as his people, have nothing to fear. And so in Matthew 6, uh, Jesus is teaching, and starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed, arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Crossing Church. We have a good and gracious Father who loves us, who cares for us, and will provide everything we need and much more. And so this uh, would be a really good ending to a really great story. Uh, this, this is a love story between Ruth and Boaz, uh, Naomi, um, getting a, a grandkid. But obviously, uh, we can read on verse 17. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying... A son had been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashim. Nashim fathered Salmon. 
and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And so the people hearing this for the first time, this was huge. This was a great story with Ruth and Boaz, not knowing what's going to happen. Oh, finally, Boaz marries Ruth. They have a kid. This is great. And then what? Ruth is a great grandmother of King David, like the king that we, you know, that king. It's crazy. Uh, And so what a twist uh, for these people, uh, for the people of God to see that the line of their earthly king, King David, uh, comes from Boaz, this man who marries a foreigner, a Moabite woman, not for his own gain, but to redeem Ruth and Naomi to carry on their family name. And Naomi, who came back to Bethlehem bitter, claiming she had nothing, now has everything. Uh, and so this is a, a great ending to a story. Yes, King David, we see this, this line that comes from Ruth, this, this beautiful picture of, of, of God's glory, this God's redemption. Oh, wait, we get to see a much bigger picture. And, and this is a very good benefit for us, uh, that we get to step back uh, and look at the bigger picture of God's story. It's like if you're in a movie and it ends, you think it ends, but then one of your friends, people are walking out, people, one of your friends like looks at you and says, hey, I Googled something before the movie, it's not the end. That happens a lot, like all these Avengers movies. Um, and you're still like, okay, I gotta sit here and wait, I gotta see what happens next. Like Inception, man. If you haven't seen, seen Inception, what are you doing? You need to see Inception. Um, but the end, where like this great moment, I'm gonna speak vague. Finally, it happens for that guy, and it's really happy. And all of a sudden, that top thing happens on the table, and you're just like, and then it cuts off. And you're like, what? And then you think about the whole movie in a different, in a different sense. You're taking a step back and thinking, like, what did I just watch? I have to rethink. I have to go watch it again ten more times. Um, it's like that, maybe. Um, and so we get to take a step back and look at this big picture um, in Matthew chapter 1. And we're not going to read it, but uh, in Matthew 1 the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We go from Abraham all the way to where the book of Ruth ends with Jesse, King David. Uh, And then further on to that, from David all the way to Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is meaningful, but why? If we belong to Christ, we are part of this line, this line that that speaks of in Boaz and, and Elimelech, uh, this line that Matthew 1 talks about, we get to be a part of this. Um, and so just as Ruth was an outsider, not belonging to this people, um, she doesn't have the qualifications, she's not a family member, um, but Boaz steps in, redeems Ruth, and gives her a part. Uh, this bigger story, not according to anything Ruth did, but because Boaz did it. Boaz redeemed Ruth. But, so if you're thinking that this is a great metaphor for how we are to Christ, we can't get stuck in a very perfect metaphor because nothing um, can perfectly show what the gospel is for us, what Christ does for us. It's, it's too big. Um, and so just like um, Boaz, uh, seeing Ruth in the field, uh, he, he saw something good in her. He, he knew what, he, what, what Ruth did for Naomi, um, he saw that how she presented himself to him. He like, found favor in her. He, like, he liked Ruth. He, he wanted to marry Ruth. Uh, and when God looks at us, when we are outsiders, when we are apart from him, all he sees is sin. We are children of wrath by nature. He sees no goodness. He sees sin. He wants nothing to do with us. God cannot do anything with sin. 
Um, but Ephesians tells us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so if anything in you thinks that even after hearing that, that you can't possibly be part of this family, that you have this, this baggage, this sin, you're, you're full of pride, you're selfish, you're filled with lust, look at the line of Jesus. Judah, thinking he's sleeping with a prostitute, when it's actually his daughter-in-law, dressed as a prostitute, who goes along with it to get a son. Rahab, who actually was a prostitute. Ruth, a Moabite, the people who came out of the incest of Lot and his daughter. Even David, who sleeps with Bathsheba, another man's wife, Uriah's wife, then has Uriah killed to try to cover up. These are some wicked people. And they're part of this line of Christ. And we get to see that. And through that, Christ reminds us that it is not according to anything these people did, how good they were, their qualifications. It's not according to how good we can be and what we can do. Um, It is only according to the grace of God and by the sending of His Son, Christ, to die for us, to wash away this filth of sin and cover us forever. And so that then God looks at us and He does not see this damning stain of sin. He sees the perfect, spotless Jesus forever. And so with hope, we now get to look forward to when Christ returns to us, not as a helpless baby, but as our all-powerful King who will take us home where we will never experience sin again and always have joy that we can't even explain now. We have no way to understand this joy that we get to have only because we get to be with Jesus forever. And that's what we celebrate. So even with these setbacks, and, and by the way, I graduated. It was, it was the, grace, the grace of a teacher that emailed me and says, I'll let you make it up. So that was fine. But even if I wouldn't have graduated, even if we had to push back the marriage, you know, all this stuff that's happening, um, it messes up. Even then, it's okay. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be in fear of anything in my plans messing up because I know that with all these, this suffering that I go through and there's much worse things that I could go through in my life, uh, that I get to look to Christ for everything. I get to look to be with Him for everything because being with Him is much greater, much greater uh, than anything I could experience uh, on this earth, good or bad. And so I usually end uh, by quoting a song. So why I break that tradition? Um, and so this is uh, a song called Emmanuel. Lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient King seated on His throne in glory. See His scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space. Hear Him who holds all things together declare, All things are mine without exception. See the curiosity of the cosmos as Christ condescends to His most cherished creatures. See the astonishment of angels as the Almighty advances towards earth. See the humility of the pre-existent king born of a virgin birth. 
The infinite becomes infant. The maker becomes man. The divine becomes despised. And the Christ is crucified. The author of all creation cursed upon the tree that he himself spoke into being. And the Lord of life was laid in the tomb, but the grave could not contain him. And so the Son of Man was raised to life. But why? To draw near, to pierce our greatest fear, to shed satisfying blood on our behalf, to give back the life we were meant to have, to enjoy, to hear, to adore, to taste, and look upon, look with peace upon our Savior's face, and to embrace Him with an undying faith, to interpose all His worthiness unto us, into us, and serve the most unworthy, undeserving. He is our God, and we are mere men made by Him. We are not like Him, but He loves us and moves among us. The great, uncreated, and the created no longer separated. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so these these Old Testament prophets uh, that look to the coming of Messiah, it happened. Jesus came, he lived this perfect life, and he died on the cross for us and was raised again in three days. And we get to benefit from that forever, not according to anything we can do. We get the benefit of that. We get to be with him forever. But now, because of Advent, we celebrate the birth of Christ because of this Christmas season. But we, as believers, get to look to something so much better than Christ coming as a child. We get to look to him returning to earth to take us home. And that is the biggest hope we could ever have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this hope that we have in you. This hope that, that saves us, um, that saved us and died on the cross for us, that continues to save us every day, um, keeping us safe from sin, from the destruction of sin, and that will someday have us forever with you. And God, I pray that amongst us, these robots, these setbacks, this, these hardships, this sin that enters our life, whether it's big or small, whether we can control it or not, God, I pray that in all this, in good times or bad, we look to you. You coming back to get us, God. Uh, knowing that that day will be much greater than any day, good or bad, we could have on earth. So God, I pray that we as the Crossing Church look to that day. We remember that we are a body of believers uh, made a body for that reason, to encourage one another uh, in good and bad, to look to you for everything. God, I pray that happens among this church, among uh, these believers in Monroe and the surrounding area, God. Uh, God, I pray that our hope is in you forever. We love you. I thank you so much for this body of believers um, that we can get to come hear your gospel proclaimed and then get to worship you and not go into this holiday season um, with a hope in in gifts and seeing family and traveling. Uh, God, we get to hope in you coming back to get us someday. We love you.